you will not survive in this unless you have that thing that makes it like a necessity for you. It's time for Backstage Chats with Women in Music, where the stories and voices of female music makers inspire women like you to be dreamers, to be rule breakers, and to unleash your inner rock star. Podcasting from Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world, here's your host, Eleanor Bennett. Karma Mayette's sound has been described as equal parts funk and glitter, cornbread and molasses. Born in Chicago, the composer and performer has traveled the globe, collaborating with the likes of Michelle Indagio Cello, Liz Wright, Vernon Reed, and The Roots. It's been a long time since I've seen you. If you remember me at all, I'd be the short one in the picture. When my hip against the wall, we used to wander in the moonlight with the gristle in our teeth. Every morning grace come to slow us and settle us down. I first met Karma at a women's retreat she led with her fellow healer and musician, Shelly Nicole. It was there that I learned about Karma's unique practice called Root Song, which combines yoga with the power of sound. When talking about the practice, she said, I've learned that the medicine of my voice involves the condition of my full being. I caught up with Karma at her home in Brooklyn, where we talked about everything from her music-infused childhood to her ongoing practice of arts education as social activism. My name is Karma, and when I was in my mommy's belly, or before I got there maybe as a part of how I got there, my parents were listening to this album, Karma, which is by Farrell Saunders. Think about the one who made us all. That's one of the, the songs and then on the album. And then there's Karma. The creator has a master plan. Peace and happiness for every man. So that's the song. That's why that's my name. You know, my, my dad was a DJ when they were, my mom and dad were in college. That's where they met. So my dad would play that on constant rotation all the time. And my mom would play like Angela Bofield records. She would play um, the Shaka, of course. Me and my mommy's favorite song that we would like skip down the street to was um, Tell Me Something Good. That Shaka, right? Ding, ding. Ha! Tell me that you like it, yeah. You know, so we were just, yeah, it was, uh, music is everything. Music is everything. Mm -hmm. oh God. Even in your name, not many people can say that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay. Who was your first concert? Wow, my first concert that I remember was the Jackson 5. The, um, can you feel it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? The um the victory tour. And I was little. I was um six or seven years old. So that's like 1979 or something. It was my birthday. And I asked my mommy for a blazer. <laughs> I was like, hint, hint, she's going to be a lesbian. No, but I asked my mommy for, <laughs> for a blazer that I wanted to wear. It was like velvety and stuff. And she got it for me. And I wanted to wear it to the concert. And I did. And it was uh 
Amazing. But before that, you know, or constantly through my youth, we always used to go out to Grant Park because I was raised in Chicago, like outdoor concerts. I was so blessed when I was a little girl. I got to see all of the greats who were still alive. So like I saw Ella Fitzgerald in the park. I saw Carmen McRae, who I wanted to be when I was five. I have parents who were like into it. So I was I was lucky. That's a long answer. <laughs> I feel like most people's concerts are when they're, you know, 17 years old and you said five or six. That's so incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful. What was the first album you bought with your own money? Ooh, the first record I ever bought. Well, the first record I bought was not a whole album. It was not a 12 inch. It was a 45. See, I'm taking y'all back because y'all don't know about this. I bought a 45 at Walgreens for 69 cents. And it was Prince. I wanna be a lover. Dun, 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 dun. I wanna be the only one you. Now, when I was little, when I was when I bought this record again, I was like about five. When I bought the record, I used to sing the only one you cook for, cook for, because I didn't realize he was saying the only one you come for, because I was five. You know, <laughs> well, it kind of translates well too. <laughs> It works. It works. You know. <laughs> so good. I love that. I love that. Okay. Which artist or band is in heavy rotation on your Spotify right now? Right now, I am really feeling this beautiful uh, vocalist, arranger, composer named Sushila Rahman. She is amazing. And she sings... Um, this beautiful melange of like traditional South Asian music where she's from and uh, sort of global jazz because she's um, grew up in London. She's done collaborations with everyone from like the Tongan throat singers to Nusrat Fatale Khan and all these people like she's just like a completely amazing phenomena and I just love everything she does. Wow. I'm going to listen to her after this. Okay. Which woman has had the most influence on your career? Wow. That's a big one. Mm, which woman has had the most influence on my career? My instinct is to say Dr. Bernice. Um, Dr. Bernice Johnson-Regan, who has been my teacher for a really long time. When I was a teenager, I lived in Washington, D.C., which is where she was also based for many years. And she, as the founder of Sweet Honey in the Rock, the a cappella um, ensemble, would produce the anniversary concerts every year, the anniversary of the founding of Sweet Honey. And Sweet Honey was founded in the same year that I was born. And so it was always a family thing that I would go with my mother and so I started singing all the Sweet Honey songs and teaching myself. So I say that she was my teacher then from a distance. And then there's my mommy. And then there is my grandmother, my father's mother, who has a beautiful voice and a gift of song. And she always says to me, you live in my dream. Because she was a beautiful singer and she was always quite, quite shy and had a lot of stage fright and she was also raising she always says I had to raise your daddy I wasn't gonna be you know <laughs> going off on tour or whatever she was like but when I see you it satisfies my soul you live in my dream 
so incredible okay if you could have dinner with any woman dead or alive who would it be shaka shaka khan shaka khan shaka khan i would love to sit with shaka oh honey and some red wine what with shaka have you met i have never met shaka and I don't know why. And it should really happen. Shaka's from the south side of Chicago. She went to high school with my mom. Her name was Yvette. And my mom was like, we always knew Yvette was going to be a star because she won all the talent shows. I mean, she's, you know, she's just brilliant. I would love to sit with Shaka. Oh, my God. All right. You will meet her. I feel like if you put that out on the universe, which you are. Yes. What is one life goal you'd like to accomplish before you die? I have got to publish this trilogy of novels it started off as a short story then i ended up writing a bunch of songs and writing the play and now the story itself just as a as a book for people to sit and read needs to get boring writing the story that i'm speaking of indigo was literally painful like literally it hurts to write it because it's tragic it's a story about lesbians on the underground railroad so the the level of trauma of separation of having to create possibility out of nothing and out of yourself really like getting into the story of what that really is is literally painful like I'd be sitting on the floor like weeping with cramps in my stomach trying to get the stuff down on the paper listening to the voices of these characters and letting them come through it hurts yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like you're healing through the writing mm -hmm. you go through that pain to get to the other side of it as the old saying says, there's the only way out is through. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so you once wrote, the medicine of my voice involves the condition of my full being. And you quoted John Lee Hooker saying the blues is a healer. Do you think there's an inherent connection between music and healing? And how does this connection manifest in your life's work? Ooh, absolutely. So I call my company Root Song because I'm a yoga instructor. And so we work with the root of the body, the root being the place where sound is generated in the body and where that healing force actually rises up from. And so it's a practice people come to sometimes the way that you would go to a yoga class, you go to it like you don't necessarily need to be a singer because that sound vibration is universally available but then there also are people who are singers who come with a more specific focus on like let's really use this work to get deeply into vocal technique we do that too you know and so for me inside of my practice when people actually vocalize then the sound production is happening inside the body it's like um giving yourself a sound bath but from the inside out so when i work with people with groups and individuals to sing into themselves you know it has that magic power and you see that through so many cultures that you've got to have you i mean i've never seen any kind of spiritual ceremony or ritual or service of any kind from any tradition no matter what part of earth where there's no singing you know what I mean like one side of my family is Muslim and I always feel like mm, that's the one thing that's you know they don't really sing during the service but the first thing that happens is the call the first thing that happens is the call and you can't have prayer without the call and it's got to be lifted and it's got to be musical 
So, you know, it's like no matter where the music is, is the center, the, that sound vibration is the center, even if you're not using sound through your ears, right? Like the, the deaf community who has been such a big force inside of feminist culture, which is where my work has been nurtured. I've always been nurtured by women's music communities, women's music festivals, black lesbian cultural organizations in Washington, D.C. When I lived there, it was 85 percent black city and it was like 65 percent female. So, I mean, the like the cultural sort of cauldron that I come from has always had that at the center. So and part of that has been the the deaf community activism and the embrace that like at concerts for instance i was talking about uh, dr bernice so they the sweet honey was one of the groups that started making it a tradition to have sign language interpreters at concerts and then the michigan women's music festival that i was talking about also they have a tradition of having a section in the front for the non-hearing folks to be up in the front and you can't sit there if you know if you're a hearing person because you can't get in their way right so they can see the interpreters and then the way that the sound molecules are still working on people's bodies regardless of whether they hear or not and people can feel that you know it's just it's a part of who we are yeah as humans vibrations and the sound that's so beautiful (laughs) as you were just saying you feel like you've been nurtured by this feminist world and a lot of your sound and healing work I think focuses on women why do you think it's so important to create these spaces we have to weep One of the things that happened when I went, for instance, to the Michigan Women's Music Festival is that because of the fact that once you get into that gathering, there are literally only women around you for miles and miles and miles around. One of the things that happens to a lot of people the first time that they go there is the weeping, which I did also. It's like after my first day there and I got into my tent and I laid on the ground, And then the earth itself started like pulling grief out of me and it started holding me and cradling me and I started weeping and I realized what I was experiencing was the relaxation of certain levels of tension that because they had never been relieved had never been something I was conscious of holding because I had never not been holding it. So this was the first time that I was not holding that particular tension. And it is so powerful, a sensation. It's just a reality of the, of the condition of the world that we live in, is that it's, it's not ours. And so the experience of living in a world that is ours is so necessary, even if it's only for you know a day, a couple hours, a week here and there, it restores us. Feels like it comes, I mean, we're literally nurtured in the womb of a mother and then we're born. And so it's almost like these spaces are inherently safe for us. It's so important for women to get to feel that way and have that safe space. On that note, do you think things have improved for women and women of color in particular in the music industry since you were beginning your journey? I think we improve our own experience every time that we enter our practice. Do I think mm, the industry itself was founded by black women. So the first person to like sell a million of something and like really establish generational wealth for Columbia Records was Bessie Smith, right? She was the highest paid performer on the planet Earth when she was alive. 
you know, from the beginning, the contracts, I guess if we're talking about Bessie generating more more wealth than than anyone could imagine and having to, for instance, buy her own train to travel and to tour in because she wasn't allowed to ride the train. Meanwhile, the, the millions, the dollars that she's generating are, are fattening, you know, the, the coffers of, of Columbia Records, which became, you know, the biggest company that all of the stars that we were talking about were signed on and that, you know, worldwide, you know, whatever. So the principle that she was working on was like, you know, you don't want me to ride your little stanky train. I will buy myself a train and my train is prettier. You know, so that, you know, you know, so that principle, I think, is still the principle that we're operating on today. Like this podcast, like we don't like what we see in the I will call it the, the patriarchal media. So we make our own. Now, does that mean I don't know? I, can, I don't even know how to really think in terms of progress in the industry. Shift Falling out of the rain Falling down like love Shifting the song Falling out of the rain Falling down like love If you could go back 20 years and give yourself advice what would it be and what advice would you give other female artists who are just beginning their journey so 20 years ago I was moving to New York so I moved here in 1999 and I moved here to go to grad school as a poet so I guess what I would say in terms of what the advice looks like is that it's a winding road there's so many different paths that can converge and that you make it up as you go and that it's going to be all right and that you will not know what the next day will bring, but that you literally make the path by walking. You know, music kind of came and took over my life. Like I did not plan for music to come take over my life at all. Sounds like love. (laughs) Completely, completely. Like I had no plans for that to happen. My first concert of my, that was, I just didn't want to do it. It's a long and winding road. That's what I, you know, like, and it's going to be all right, you know, and there's many, many ways to look at what success means and, and that it's possible to be a really strong, um, powerful, independent artist and pay your bills, even if most people never heard of you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that is advice worth giving to a lot of young artists. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, if a few thousand of them have, you can eat, you'll be all right. You know, (laughs) what you want is to touch people's lives. You are touching them almost in a deeper way. I mean, you know, I'm not going to the hate on the superstar life. I'm sure it's amazing. And, you know, like I've been really touched by people who had that kind of a platform. I mean, like I'm talking about Shaka Khan being in love. You know, I'm in love with her. I'm in love with all these world famous, amazing people. So I'm grateful that they have this platform because what if I never got a chance to hear them? Like, I think it's great to be world famous. I think it's fabulous. But I'm just saying that, like, there's so many ways, right, that you can be successful like that's not the only way like if you don't get if you don't get that like just give it up no you know I remember my first acting teacher back in the when I was a kid I was a I was a child actor and I was in a local production company our teacher told us you know if there's anything else that you can do do it instead of this warning to the wise 
literally, if there is anything at all. And he said, no, nothing else <laughs> that you could possibly do other than this. Please go do that because you will not survive in this unless you have that thing that makes it like a necessity for you because that's where you'll go back to replenish the drive that it's going to take for you because you're going to people are going to tell you no most of the time. So you have to have something else that you, you know, and if you, if you, if you feel comfortable doing any other kind of work, it will be better for you <laughs> to go do that. <laughs> oh man. But you didn't, you had to stick with, <laughs> you had that thing. <laughs> I had that thing. I'm one of the crazy ones because it's literally crazy. Like, you know, I heard Michelle say that once, um, Michelle DeGocello is another beloved friend. And she was like, yeah, you know, this is my only job I could do. So I really appreciate the support that I've received because I can't do other things. You know what I mean? This is what I'm here to do. So, yeah. She's amazing. I heard her interviewing Joan, the policewoman. It's like watching two people fall in love through conversation. Like, it was the way I felt like every interview should be always. That's another example of how powerful community is because... You know, we, we create with each other, we create space for each other, we produce with each other, and we do this work with each other's support and nurturance. And those conversations are literally the fertile material that actually makes our creativity possible is those relationships. Mm-hmm. Michelle used to live down, she, used to, she and her wife, Allison, used to live on St. James. And so I was walking down Fulton Street one day, and I heard this little voice by my shoulder, because, you know, she's a little shorter than me. Hey, Michelle. She, and so she was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, oh, hey. And she was like, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you. And I was like, I know, I've been meaning to talk to you, too. And I was like, yo, let's make a record. And she was like, okay, word. And so then we made a song. We recorded a song. She came over and sat in that knee chair here and almost fell out of it, because most people fall out of it, because, you know, you have to be careful. But anyway. You know what I mean? You can just be in community with people and create and like make things and, you know, where we we are each other's, literally each other's beloveds and each other's sounding boards and each other's, you know, uh, producers. And like, you know, it's it's really crucial, I think, to acknowledge the the historical import of the fact that like this is how work gets done, is that um, even if it's not in a literal sense, like, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like Mich- Michelle and Joan have have collaborated on some discs, but even if like you you're not quote unquote officially making a record with a person, just those conversations actually feed your mind and then change what happens for you the next day, you know. And so community really it really is everything. Like among women artists, I mean among any human beings, but but certainly the way that my life and making work has has unfolded, it's been in that context of like oh. We know each other. Let's do stuff together, you know? That feels like another really good piece of advice. I know we moved on from that question, but for younger artists is just for anybody entering into any kind of journey, like find your community and collaborate. Nothing but good can come out of that. And, you know, forgiveness too. Forgiveness is a real thing. A really important and powerful thing too is that forgiveness like inside of building community you've got to have forgiveness or it won't function because none of us is going to be right all the time of course what comes along with forgiveness is accountability because I can't forgive you if you're not willing to be accountable because then we can't move forward I can forgive you from a distance you know (laughs) 
<laughs> which is fine too you know what i mean but but if we're gonna stay and move forward together then you know i'm gonna have you're gonna you're gonna need to have accountability i'm gonna need to have accountability i'm gonna need you to forgive me you know but forgiveness forgiveness is something that has been resonating for me over and over in recent days mm-hmm. all the young women listening out there this is gold advice. So my last question for you, Karma, is what's next on the creative horizon for you? I have a record that I have recorded. And speaking of industry and support work, I have no relationship with any record label. I'm self-produced. Like anything I've ever done has been self-produced all the time for the whole time in terms of my original work. So... For me to finish this record, which is called Root Woman, I took some old songs and did my own arrangements and interpretations. And then it's about half and half, half of that and half original compositions. So I've got 13 pieces in the can and I am going to create and more manifest the funds to now mix and master, manufacture and distribute and promote. So that's what's up. That's what's next. <laughs> and where can people, if people want to check you out, check your music out, where should they go? They can go to my website, which is my name, karmamayette.com. And they can also, I have two websites because I work in these two ways in tandem. So karmamayette.com is a more of a focus on performing life and root song. .net is a focus on my work with people and individuals so people can come to me for that practice one-on-one or they can ask me to come and be with a group to do the root song work. Yeah, so either site and all of the social handles, which, you know, they all, on all the social handles, I'm the same person, Karma Mayette. M-A-Y-E-T is how you spell the second part and karma, like the first part, is that thing that comes back to thee. We all know about that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karma, for talking to me today. It's so special. It's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. This episode was produced by Eleanor Bennett. Hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. This podcast is a production of the Backstage Chats Foundation a non-profit that is on a mission to eliminate gender disparity in the music industry by amplifying the voices and careers of women in music. You can make a difference by donating to the cause. Visit backstagechats.com and click the donate button today.